This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me for the 150th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus for his third appearance on the show is the award-winning author of She Runs Shotgun the terrific manophile and owner of heat action figures, Mr. Jordan Harper. Welcome back to One Heat Minute, my friend. Uh, is there, there's probably a cool word for 150, right? There's got to be. Like there's, there's centennial and bicentennial, <laughs> but somewhere in the middle of that, there has to be uh, uh, another word. You, you know, so I do own, I own heat action figures, but you know what I don't own? What don't you own? Is, is I don't own a pair of custom-made Vans. Because, you know, you can have custom-made Vans, yes. shoes made, and you can send them photos and stuff, and they'll print them on on your Vans. What they will not do, because I've tried twice now, <laughs> is they will not make me a pair of Vans with uh, Tom Sizemore's face from the diner scene oh on God. the Vans. Apparently, it's copyrighted material, and they won't do that. Um, I'm thinking about... I don't know how I'm going to get this done, but I so want that. <laughs> you know what I want? I want Van Sant on Vans. I want Roger Van Sant on Vans. That would be great. That would be great. Just hit, just William Fickner's cheekbones, just amazing um, on 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 Vans. And because the people who get it might die laughing every time they see your feet, and the people who don't are like, who is that? Why has he got that guy's face on his feet? What a weird guy. Um, but, yeah, so amazing. Amazing. I'm, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm keeping the dream alive. You know what else I would like to own is, is a T-shirt that has the Michael Mann logo from the end of Miami Vice, you know, the card that says, like, a Michael Mann production in those, like, 80s colors. So great. So great. Yeah. There's not like so right now today they're not a sponsor of the show, but if they do want to sponsor, Roots of Fight is like a really great um, sure uh, website, and they do a California-based website, and they do pre uh, like revitalized versions of like original fighters merchandise, and also you know custom versions, but revitalized versions of fighter merchandise from the days. That a fighter. So today, like right now, people can't see this because obviously it's an audio podcast. But I'm wearing a a, a, a replica of Muhammad Ali Kinshasa Zaire Rumble in the Jungle T-shirt from Roots of Fight, which is just awesome. And they have all these great shirts: Tommy Hitman Hearns, Roberto Duran. Yeah. Count them, count them. There's amazing fighters. But like, what's so cool about this is like you get to wear it and have that little bit of a feeling like you're in that fight camp. You might have been there, you know, uh-huh. that sort of thing. And I'm just like. You're exactly right. They're missing a beat on even just, okay, for Beverly Hills 90210 nerds, how much would you like the Aaron Spelling? Like an Aaron Ooh, Spelling t-shirt? Like it'd be badass. It'd be badass. I think, so cool. I, first of all, I have a couple of Roots of Fights t-shirts myself. I have a, an right. old uh, Gracie one from Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, awesome. Love it. 
And second of all, I think we just came up with like a business plan, like <laughs> all 80s. Um, you know, you could have the woman shushing in the movie theater. Do you remember that yes. one? Yeah. Yeah. And then Homer even says, you too, shushy. Like that's, yeah. 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 Or the sit, you sit dog. Oh, um, all of those. Yeah. All of those as t-shirts. Yeah. And all of us okay. 80s and 90s kids would be just buying that shit up like Roots of Fight for fight fans um, and uh, those sorts of things. But yeah, no, like, okay, this is copyright. So Jordan and I will take this off air and uh, we'll go and do it. But no, I'm sure there's something like that. That'd be really cool. Really officially licensed cool stuff like that um all right i don't know how the hell we got here but what i will say is we're at the 150th minute it's important and i'm so grateful uh for uh, for mr harp here jordan thank you so much for being a part of the show my friend and uh, also just right off the bat um thank you for being such a huge uh, proponent and encouraging the show and a supporter of this whole thing um we are in the downhill slope of this show um uh, big time you know really after this there are 15 episodes to go so uh before the credits so an incredible um it's been an incredible journey and i thank you for your part in it oh well no i'm i you know i love doing this i i I feel i come alive when i get to be this nerdy with you (laughs) it's so much fun and really it's really amazing what you've done have you added up the runtime of your podcast yet no not yet but i i know the mean length is about 45 minutes so i reckon out of now what will be as folks are listening 150 episodes you're probably looking at about 120 hours of heat talk which is incredible I uh, I know we have to actually talk about the movie, but I do want to say I got owned very badly online today. What? I won't even get into. I it was uh, Jed Ayers, uh, oh, guest of the podcast, yeah. uh, noticed today a, a a a resemblance between me and Ben Shapiro, uh, <laughs> where I look like the after photo. At least I look like the after photo, and I think I'm a foot taller than him because I'm five foot eight. Um, but anyway, I only bring that up because I saw you get owned online the other day, and and I thought it was very funny, and I only bring it up because I don't even remember who it was, but it was a woman. I think that was important because my, one of my dearest a- friends, Maria Lewis, absolutely smashed me online. But go on. Please do say. She smashed <laughs> well, me. You can, correct, you can correct my language. And I only bring it up because it completely applies to me too, where you recommended, a film, you recommended JFK to her. Which no, is I, I just a- I just wrote on Twitter. So this is where your friends attack you, Jordan. They come and blindside you and just smash you for everyone to see. And she's she's got a lot of followers. So I um I wrote I'm watching JFK again because it's a marvel. And she wrote, "Is, is it, it though?" She's like, "Is <laughs> it though?" And I said, "Yes, it is. It is actually." And she goes, "I could." She, she and I I know the tweet you're referring to. She goes, "I could program a ten movie marathon for you without even consulting you at this point." Has to be. A movie from the 90s has to be 45 minutes too long mm-hmm. and has to be about 85% dudes doing dude things. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. She um, smashed and me and way, I was like, God damn it. And you know LA Confidential is one of those movies. And I'm like, God yeah. damn it. She's right. She's right. No, and, and, and JFK is too. And, and yeah. I've watched the longer director's cut of JFK. That's what I was watching. Because uh, it's a marvel. It is. It's, a, it's it is. really, I mean, as far as like, I don't know if that won the Oscar for editing, but it should have. Yeah, I believe um, it did. I'm going to Google that. I think it did actually win the Oscar for editing. Um, I mean, it's really, um, 
there it's so fat i mean obviously goes without saying the film is completely full of shit yes um but that doesn't make it a bad movie it's a fantastic movie yeah no and it did it did win the uh oscar for film editing so well as it should as 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 it should yeah look it's a you know i think it's um, pretty openly myopic around its perspective and it's very yeah. it throws a lot of uh you know it it's there's that great and and i think garth was interacting with me about it he was talking about that great donald sutherland scene which is a guy who kind ah. of maps out you know conspiracy mr. X. yeah mr x conspiracy theory 101 um uh for jim garrison's character and it's just it's just unbelievable like it's 10 minutes of the military industrial complex and like what are the sort of underpinnings of all of the you know uh conspiracy theory hysteria that are even still really resonant now like in 10 minutes it's just exquisite this beautiful scene um but yeah i I just think it's stunning like it's just so and you know i don't i it's one of those movies i think a movie is great when it is long and it does not feel long because I, yeah. I turned it on the other night. It was probably after 9 p.m. in Oz, and I was like, uh-oh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm watching this whole freaking movie again. <laughs> so I uh, yeah, it's I great. fly a lot of American Airlines, and, and for some reason American Airlines always has JFK as one of their available films. Great. And it's, it's a great movie for a flight because it's really long. So I have watched JFK in the last year two or three times because um, it's very watchable. Very, very watchable. If a movie that has Joe Pesci and Tommy Lee Jones doing poppers together isn't your cup of tea, then I don't want to know you. Okay, (laughs) I don't want to know you. That's enough. So many great performances like that. (laughs) Kevin Kevin Bacon as the jailed male prostitute is a. Oh, <laughs> so, so good. so good. And I also, I want his haircut from that scene. I don't think I could pull it off. But, <laughs> he does have beautiful want... hair. Kevin Bacon is like that guy who's just unbelievable. He's the evergreen, beautiful guy. Just, you know, him yeah. and Rob Lowe still just looking the same age for 30 years. Um, but no, it's a great movie. It's a really great movie. But again, it's, a, you know, don't go to Hollywood for history is a, is a good phrase that a, a nerdy friend of yeah. mine always says. And I think that that's pretty apt. It's not quite historically accurate, but it's... It's uh, inquisitive and skeptical, and those things are cool. And yes, you're 100 percent right. My friend Maria absolutely smashed me, and uh, and I actually wrote back to her and said, "Show me, like, show me. I want to see this list because she'll probably uh-huh. be completely spot on." She was like, "All right, <laughs> here we go." Oh, it was funny that I laughed out loud when I read that. <laughs> well, Maria, if you're listening, you know uh, Jordan laughed out loud. Thank you. I I actually laughed out loud too. She she got me. I was like, you know, when you get got and it's really good, but it's from someone who loves you and they know you well. It's like, yeah, absolutely yeah. smash me. Thank you very much. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Well, look, we're we're at a great. You know, this is for the hundred and fiftieth minutes, hundredth minute, fiftieth minute, all great minutes, very interesting minutes. And right now, you know, we're in what uh, you can broadly call Neil Macaulay's incursion of this like airport hotel, airport Hilton. And you've mm-hmm. got flecks of Edie's doubt around the entire situation and nervousness. You've got Neil going into a hotel like the stakes are incredibly high. You've got callbacks to previous scenes where we've, we, you know, unless you've watched this movie as many times as Jordan and I have, you're seeing actors for the second time and then realizing, is that the same guy as I saw Pacino call earlier and sort of figuring that out. And, um, and uh, it, it's a really fascinating little scene of uh, him, him making his way into this hotel. So we're going to check it out. We're going to listen now. Um, you guys are going to listen along 
and then Jordan and I are going to catch you up on it. Um, and the one thing that I will say that Garth Franklin said of this minute when I talked to him about doing it with Jordan, he's like, oh, that's the, the cop who's working behind the counter uh, in this hotel uh, actually you know, that makes sense for LA because everyone has two jobs because it's so expensive there. <laughs> so uh, have, here we go, guys. Minute 150. Wow. Thanks for the, thanks for being along. If you've listened to every episode, I'm unbelievably grateful to you. Thank you so much. And if this is your first episode of One Heat Minute, welcome. And uh, go and follow at MovieMaz on Twitter, my friend who smashed me. And you'll see Jordan liking her tweets from now on. But uh, let's have a listen <laughs> to this minute and uh, we'll go on from there. Let's go. good minute and it's a good minute and you know what i just thought of jordan for one of the first times watching this scene is like you know the 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 beauty and simplicity of the character design of neil mccauley because you imagine medium height you know medium height svelte build brown hair goatee it's that's everyone like you know what i mean like it's it's and to imagine what it's like to be these cops in this building, in this hotel, where people are wearing suits and have brown hair and goatees, it must just be like what we don't see from this hotel, um, from this hotel person, but we do see so many other times in this movie is like, imagine how many goddamn Neil McCauley's they're spotting every second. Like, right. and in this moment, I think it emphasizes it to perfection. It's like, how do you track this guy? Like in a crowd, he just slips away. Well, he slips away and he does it. And it, and it's, it's an echo of the first time we see him when he's stealing the ambulance in that he knows exactly how you sneak through a building, which is don't sneak at all. Yes. You know, he gets to this place where he, he, he can see that that is a cop. He's got a pump shotgun. And instead of like pressing up against the wall and moving, he just walks right out the door. He doesn't really even pause. No. And he, you know, the, the depths of his, uh, of his like disguises, he's kind of fiddling with his ear a little bit to kind of mask his face. Yes. Um, and, and you know, walking, I really, and walking into a crowd, like he walks into sort of behind the reception area where there's a stack of people that are attempting to check into this massive and very, you know, vibrant, lively hotel. And so all, all, all he's got is like a two or three meter walk to just cover his face. And then yeah. he's already, you know, he's already making a beeline for the elevators out the back. And and it's again, it's it's just it's so exactly how you should sneak into a place. Just walk, just walk in. Yes. And like as somebody like who's worked on film sets, and 
you learn very quickly that you could infiltrate any film set you want. <laughs> if you ever see a film set, just walk right into it. Don't look around. Don't, at, don't look down. Don't avoid anybody's gaze. Just walk right into it. Go stand by the you know the craft service table where all the food is. Nobody's going to ask you if you're supposed to be there. Yes. Because they don't know. You could be a producer. You know, they're not going to go. You could be from the studio. They don't know. And you don't even need any props. You just walk in. Be on your phone. Act like you couldn't give a shit. Like, that's how you sneak into a place. It's a really funny. There's a, a phenomenal Australian cult podcast when, like, podcasts first came out in this country, like a decade. I'm going to say more than a decade ago. It's called Get This. And they had a joke, a running joke one day, like, what did you nick? Like what did you what did you what did you nick? And someone said mm-hmm. they stole a, a standee from a cinema, like a huge mm-hmm. movie standee. And like, how did you manage that? It was like I think they said it was the Simpsons couch. The show's called Get This, mm-hmm. by the way. So if there are any Get This fans who are one heat minute fans, bless you because I'm a huge fan of the show. And uh, anyway, so they said, oh, I, I'm a courier by trade, so I just put my yellow vest on, mm-hmm. and I just walked into the cinema. And I picked it up and I walked out. And there were managers and employees and they just saw a yellow vest. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That person totally belongs here. <laughs> so that's what I love about it. This is like, you know, literally hiding in plain sight. He's wearing a hotel suit. He walks straight across the hallway. He doesn't take a beat. He's not walking quickly. He's actually yep. walking a very measured cadence. And it's just like, boom, and that's it. And this guy who's having his eyes peeled, this is what I think the agony would be. is like, unless he's sure like 100% sure because of all of the knife's edge and the and the the coiled springs of all the cops that he's working with in Vincent's team and Vincent himself unless he's 100% positive ID of Neil he's not going to say a word because he doesn't want the wrath of that team coming down on him like you've just wasted our time sort of thing so you can right. tell that it's even more pressure that is mounted because that's where it is it's interesting because he really in the moment when you're watching it um, and I will say this just as, as a broader thing, I feel like I have seen heat. I don't know how many times and, 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 and really paid attention to it. I don't think this is a minute of heat I've ever really noticed before. Yeah. Um, I feel like you're, you're ready. You want him to get to Wayne grow, you know, he's going to get Wayne grow, but you're not, I've never really been like really locked in on this scene before, but watching it this time, you really, when that cop eyeballs him it looks like he's made like he is staring at him like that's neil mccauley yes and then it's just done yes he's he thinks he's got him and there's this moment of sheer like shock and intent and purpose and then he just his whole face there's a poise in his face in that moment like a realization and then it all melts away back to mr cordial retail like i'm serving yeah and it just happens so quickly and you're like god this guy is this guy is infiltrating by the skin of his teeth right now and also at the very beginning of this minute it's what i loved you know when we were talking about doing this minute and we're talking about this mini infiltration and talking about this you know making the cop and then making this decision i love Edie's shaking hand at the beginning of this minute it is out of control good because it's like it's one of those things that you you know it's very rare in this movie that you're feeling exactly what all the characters are feeling at any given moment especially in the heightened state of things but when her hand shakes, it's like you realize that your hand – like in the cinema recently, I saw this on 35mm print nice. in, its, in its true glory. 
And I reckon when Edie looked at her hand and her hand was shaking, I think my hand was shaking. I was, I was, I was so involved in this movie at that point. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's a great and it's a, it's a human moment from a character who is, I think, in the later part of this film, a little underdeveloped because she's doing a crazy thing here. So it's yeah. really important that we see her not be cool with it in this moment, which is exactly right. That her hand is shaking. She doesn't do. She doesn't even really know what's going on. If she knew why they were stopping at this hotel, her hand would be shaking a whole lot more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and Lord knows I didn't come here to, to poke holes. But I do want to talk. <laughs> You're has, allowed has to. Anybody, has anybody, uh, have you ever discussed, or have you, are you aware of the book Where the Money Is? No, I'm not. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating book. It's my favorite book on bank robbery uh, that I've ever read. It's by Gordon Dillow who was for 20 years the head of the bank robbery division in Los Angeles, which was, and probably still is, the bank robbery capital of America. And uh, every chapter of it is about a different kind of bank robbery, and he illustrates that case through its, or that kind of robbery through a specific case. He does, you know, notes, he does tunnels, he does inside man, and then he does armed robbery. And the armed robbery is, is the North Hollywood bank job. Yes. And... He opens up that chapter watching a movie and laughing at how ridiculous that movie is. <laughs> and that movie that he's watching is Heat. Of course. Which I think is fascinating because when you or I, or you know, when we talk about Heat, you talk about Michael Mann, we talk about how realistic and, yeah, and gritty authentic. it is. Right? Yeah, gritty. Yep. Yeah. Um, but to an FBI man who, who's covered bank robberies for 20 years, it's just ludicrous. Yes. And I'm not saying that as an insult because to me, and this is me speaking more as, as the writer than, than as a fan, to me, realism is a tool. It's not the end goal of what we're doing. No, everything is heightened. Like, yes. you know, I think when people say things are dramatic, it's, there's, you know, when, we, when we're doing things in drama, it's elevated. You don't want right. the situation that's unelevated if it's boring as that <laughs> shit. You know, exactly. You, or, or there has to be some some kind of take on the boring as batshit bank robbery. Like the, you know, in, a, in an absolute wonderful, wonderful bank robbery movie, um, The Old Man and the Gun, David Larry's Old Man and the oh, Gun with Robert Redford, which is just... I haven't just, seen it yet. Oh, Jordan. You're, okay, we're, we're not doing a recording for this one eight minute podcast, but we're going to have a Skype call after you watch that because it is okay. exquisite. Um, it's, but the bank robberies in that, it's just someone walking up to a counter and going, give me all your money. Don't make a sound. I've got a gun. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Walks away, and he's very charming and sweet, and does that. So yeah, like there's an, there's a lack of drama in him, but it's the, the the it's the point. That's the point. But yeah, for Heat, it's like if you're going to have a gun battle in LA and it's going to be dramatic and high stakes, it's like it's going to be very florid <laughs> in in its descriptions and in its execution in the cinema because otherwise it's just boring. Oh, exactly. And what he brings out specifically is from the beginning of the film. He talks about how don't blow up your getaway car. Like they do it after the armored car heist. Yes. It's like that, you know, all that does is tell them where your getaway car is. Um, but anyway, that, but I only bring it up uh, because what Neil McCauley is doing is foolish in this moment, but it's completely character based and I'm totally on board for it. Yes. What the cops are doing is a really, really bad plan. Yeah. Like, 
hey, I know, let's tell all the criminals on the street where Wayne Grote is actually hiding <laughs> so we can draw Neil McCauley when it would have been just as easy to just say, tell him Neil McCauley's, you know, on Rikers Island or, you know, or, or not Rikers Island, that's a bad, bad example, but, you know, you just say he's anywhere. Yes. He doesn't have to be there. Um, and uh, I just think it's funny. I just, I just bring it up because I, I am fascinated with walking this line between you know the absolute authenticity of what michael mann does on a surface level and how glad i am it's in the service of something that is absolutely unrealistic yeah it's, I, I couldn't agree more and i think it's also like it's so character based around vincent making this play as well like i think yeah. even vincent in the authenticity of vincent's architecture this play is a hail mary yeah Let's put the guy we know he wants at the airport hotel. Yeah. We don't even know if he's out to the airport. Well, this airport. Right. Sure. He you know, could be he, going to Long Beach. Yeah. Could, be, could be going to any, like driving south, whatever, making a beeline for the border, whatever the case may be. You know, Neil's got multiple options around air bases, spots, helicopter to here, whatever, whatever the scenario is. And so I, I love that it's like a grandiose and kind of almost it's foolhardy. It's like the last mm -hmm. thing that he wants to do. Catching Chris is actually the thing. Yeah. The secondary call that we've, you know, we've we've followed, you know, we've already articulated in previous minutes, but that secondary call to to this hotel clerk that's got the the massive shotgun, very intimidating, you know, <laughs> pump action shotgun behind that counter um is so like is he there? No. And so that indication if he's going to leave Chris and Chris is gone, then Neil's gone. Yeah. And so I, I kind of like it that – and that even that Vincent doesn't care to even monitor it. He's like, yeah. nah, I'm not even going to bother. And so the cops are stationed there. They're going to do their job for a night and unlike you know, the next day when the sun comes up, it's over. And so I, I love yeah. that feeling of like for Vincent, it's over. I'm going to sleep for a week. It's not going to happen. And, and yeah, like this is so – hugely grandiose like we're going to try and entrap him in this hotel and there's a lot of people and there's a lot of potential for error but it's still it's that i don't know it's maybe that it's that it's that one you know what the fuck is that barbecues and ball games it's like the ball this is the like this is the play you make the yeah. biggest grandest silliest play and it just so happens to snare him well, and it, the last time we talked, it, we, it was when we watched like that deleted scene with Wayne Grow. Yeah. And it was all about Trejo's death. Um, and, and I talked a lot or we talked a lot about how I really feel like Wayne Grow's role as the villain of this film is, is, is really, really important and, and outside bigger than his screen time for sure. Yes. Um, and at the end of the day, it is true that essentially Vincent never really got that close to catching Neil McCauley in any way that didn't involve Wayne Grow. Uh, Correct. Wayne Grow put them on, on the bank job in the middle of the film. And now it's only the fact that, that Wayne Grow has been so brutal in his attempts to get revenge on Neil McCauley that he even makes this really, really bad call to go to the, the uh, hotel. And the other major um, one is that Wayne Grow acting up and getting called slick is the yeah. only thing that caught Vincent's scent to begin with. That's true. If he doesn't say a word, you know, to your point, if he doesn't say a word, then he does his crowd work right, and Michael doesn't have to reprimand him mid 
heist as he as he does in the opening heist. He doesn't have a he doesn't touch him. No, like he gets close. He, get, he gets close. The one after that that first scent, and then um, as Joe Lynch aptly called him, Captain Hydration um, takes a seat in the back <laughs> of that truck and uh, and ruins that that particular arm. But you're right. Like it's it's Wayne grows. It's Wayne Grove's intent to 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 put the heat on Neil for the rest of the movie um, mm-hmm. that ends up being Neil's downfall because Neil's programming is that there is no way that I can let this guy live. There is no way. Right. Yeah, I will literally risk. It's it's. I mean, it's in the coming minute, and you, you'll talk about it. it's such an amazing minute. But like, it's literally at the end of the day, that is the thing he can't walk away from. Mm-hmm is is the revenge it's what this is it this is the thing when he talks about you have to have the discipline this is what it bre- he doesn't break for Edie. <laughs> no he breaks for revenge yeah um and and that again goes back to the thing we talked about last but it's time it's like the program idea. it's like that program jordan it's like what he has done to survive to this point that program sure. is embedded and so he's what's weird is this wonderful con and this is why we love michael man protagonists and just in general the kinds of characters that are in Michael Mann films is they're deeply conflicted because the thing, the decisions that they're going to make, the 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 central conflict of them a lot is fighting against a program that has helped them survive or to get to that point. And so we all know what it's like. It's like if you've done a certain kind of work and it's given you a certain amount of success. If you've done a, you know, if you've done a workout forever, you know that has gotten mm-hmm. you a certain level of fitness, and then you injure yourself and you just don't know how to like overcome a program and switch it up or whatever the case may be it's just one of those things where like this thing that has kept him alive this whole time he's following that same instinct but in this moment it's <laughs> there's no good there's no good end to this there's no there's yeah. no fun end to this this is he's in trouble indeed indeed um it's and, and it's 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 a very fitting end and i love it but um trying to think of what else in that moment that we just watched Here's the other thing I noticed about it. It's from a filmmaking perspective. I can think of three times in the film, I'm sure there are more, but these are the three I can think of where we're following Neil McCauley kind of in an over-the-shoulder, if not handheld, steady cam kind of shot. Him in the hospital, him walking into the bank, and then here, right? I mean, it's not a usual shot. It's like a Neil McCauley on the prowl shot. Absolutely. Does that seem right? Absolutely, yeah. and and even like there's a brief one we get like a taste of it um, in the 119th minute around the times we were talking in the Treo scenes um, where mm-hmm. he's like um, uh, where he's penetrating Treo's house for the first time we don't know where he is but that's a much more frantic you know lively my guns trained moment um, whereas right. this is more of the like exactly as you said it's more on the prowl and it, there's two things that happen here and I think from a pure aesthetic blocking perspective uh, that i love it's just like there's a craft and you know really good filmmakers like michael mann do it so beautifully is when you watch a character catch something in their eye line you then address what they're looking at so you, you dive into their perspective and then mm-hmm. you dive back into them around what they're thinking about that and so 
what's beautiful here is we get that twice, but we get it with you know we get that twice and that and a great prowl shot. And the first one is Edie. So Edie in a bit of a panic, her eyes kind of finally awakening to a realization that something might be wrong. Her hand shaking. She's denied her mm-hmm. instincts up until this point. So we actually watch her watch her hand, then we watch her realize, oh shit, have I? What am I doing? Like what the hell is going on? Yeah. Right. Like why am I here? Um, and then we get Neil, which is another great one. Is he's ascending the stairs? He's just come up, you know. Dr- you know, he's done his like, where does what room is Jameson in? Moment. He heads up the stairs, and as he's heading up the stairs, he then looks at our guy, and then we catch his eye line. We see how Neil McCauley views the world. He's looking to see what's out of place behind those counters, and he can see a gun, and mm-hmm. that's what he's got. And then. He sort of appraises it, and when it goes back to Neil, within com- in complete contrast to Edie, where Edie's face is like turmoil, like panic, yeah. he's just like stone faced, like calm, like a you know ice man. He just like walks yeah. straight out, and like you said, I love what you said before. He just like he just walks straight out, just like you you know you're penetrating a film set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if it's a Jordan Harper film set, it's like, Jordan, he just sort of waves to you. <laughs> but it's like, a, you know, if it's a film set, you just walk, or a TV set, you just walk straight in. But like here, he's just walking straight through. And then it's that that craft of like, all right, I'm on the prowl and him directing around and, and seeing those moments. But it's like this really good, you know, without having to say a word, tracking what the characters are thinking and feeling and their motivations in the moment and the motion and just really making sure that we're staying in touch with their emotion. Because there's plenty of scenes where you just look at them you don't look at any of their reactions. You don't look what they're studying. But and and in this one, we saw Neil do it at the beginning, like seeing if there's anything out of place in the hospital, and he doesn't pick anything, so it doesn't mm-hmm. pause. He just keeps walking. But here, he sees something wrong, has to think about how he's going to do it, and then he just does it. And the confidence is all there. Yeah, so that really, really good stuff. It is really good, and you see it not just in the cop, but I, if I recall correctly, the, as he's entering the elevator at the very end of this minute, there's like a janitor or somebody who who he passes, and he's in a place where like civilians not civilian civilians but like non-hotel employees should not be he's in the service elevator area and he still just walks right in and gets in the elevator because that's what you do you don't look around and go ooh ooh you know you don't you don't get on your tiptoes and that like plinking piano sound plays while you like creep into the service elevator you just walk on get on and door shuts yeah, the the service he's he's walking so calmly. He checks where the service guy's going in, you know, 20 it's like uh, 57 seconds into the minute. He checks where he's going and he just walks past what looks like a a housekeeping lady. She just walks yeah. past him like he's in the suit. There's no reason for for someone, you know, dressed like him, looks like him to be in that spot. And then the guy just walks past him. Oh, yep. No, nothing to see here. No problem. And, and and this goes back to what you were saying earlier about Neil McCauley being so nondescript. He doesn't change clothes for this scene, right? This is what he went to, right? No, I mean, no, he do, he does. He does. He okay. does. He changes. He's out of the greys and he's into the blues. Like so, that's just next to the phone where he makes the phone call to the room service. He he, mm-hmm. he rifles through. So he's wearing literally hotel people close oh okay so he, okay. he he has at least made the 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 change but like you know if you or i are looking like you and me wearing a t-shirt and jeans and then we put a suit on we don't look like different people like right. you, you know you, you don't look like different people like but neil seems to fade into that that level like he's got like a nondescript haircut with nondescript facial yeah. hair and he's in medium height and he's and the suit fits like a work suit fits. It's not like compu- yeah. beautiful and completely trim. It's like sort of a, a little bit 
got a little bit of oversized. You know, it's, he, he's he's looking the part of nondescript guy perfectly. Well, do you know what I, what Cary Grant said about wearing a tuxedo? Is if you want to look really good in, in a tuxedo, uh, wear it like a pair of pajamas. And I feel like that's what he does with all of these outfits. He's not a guy who puts on the jumpsuit for the ambulance company and is walking around stiffly going, oh, I hate this jumpsuit. He wears it like it's his, his pajamas. He's wearing this. This is his everyday clothes. You would never know that he just put this on. Exactly. And, uh, again, his, it's, his suit is his pajamas. That gray, yeah. that gray nondescript suit, that's every day. Right, as opposed to how I feel in a suit, <laughs> which, it, which is like just flashbacks from like high school dances and and, <laughs> and, and, and wanting to just climb out of them. I, I, I'm also, I mean, well, you're Australian, but I, I, I'm from Los Angeles and I barely can put on socks anymore, you know. <laughs> it's hot, it's hot. I was just going to say, Billy Connolly, like uh, as a guy who's, you know, had day jobs and had to wear corporate attire which is basically like suits um every time i put on a suit i I think of two people i think of like tom ford as fashion designer and director who famously shot his movies in three-piece tuxedos with cufflinks Mm -hmm. of his own design and so he'd be on set behind the camera in these beautiful cuffs you know tie gorgeous like you know obviously when you're tom ford you can dress opulently and make everyone in your films you know feel more assured about your talent which is insanely mm-hmm. talented guy um, behind the camera, but like a single man, he was like the best dressed person in the whole movie and he was behind the lens. Um, yeah. And so I think about Tom Ford. So I'm like, Oh, you know, one day you kind of think about that stylishness, you bring that uh, thing. And, and then I think of comedian Billy Connolly, the great Scottish legend, Billy Connolly. Sure. And, he, and he always called suits liars clothes. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, cause you go into court, right? You know, they're liars' clothes, and uh, so, <laughs> and so, I, I think about this moment too with Neil in his suit and his, his, his you know, nondescript grey suit, and they're his liars' clothes, right? That's they the, are his liars' clothes. They're his uniform, and so, I think of that brogue myself every time I put on a suit. I'm like, is this the liars' clothes day? Or do I need to put? <laughs> do I need to take this off and put the Roots of Fire t-shirt back on just because that's more me, maybe? <laughs> Maybe gotta we'll, be you gotta be me gotta be me <laughs> of course we're also not infiltrating hotels <laughs> not today at least not today not That's today right. yeah i i I'm, I'm adamant that people are like what's michael mann been up to and the first phrase i always want to say is like are there any highline burglaries that have mystified us like because he's you know michael mann's people always infiltrate stuff you know i'm i'm a hundred percent sure he could be pulling off a heist as we speak um, no doubt no doubt yeah. No doubt. Getting into this hotel, knowing exactly how to do it, it's, it's very him. Uh, there was a thing, and I mentioned to, this to you off air, but uh, there's a moment that happens two seconds after this minute ends, and it's something I wanted to bring up for a while. Please do. And it's, it's the brass check. Uh, he gets onto the, the, the elevator, and Neil McCauley uh, pulls back uh, the slide of the automatic pistol to make sure there's a bullet in the chamber. He wants to be ready to go. And I just want to use this opportunity to implore all the listeners who've made it this far, because clearly <laughs> you're in deep at this point. You have to go and Google the Internet Movie Gun Database, and particularly the Internet Movie Gun Database for the film Heat. Um, because what that website does or did, I have no idea if it's still active, is catalog and comment on every firearm in every film that they catalog. Amazing. And so... The amount of character work 
that went into the selection of everybody's handgun, everybody's rifle, and they track it through the entire film, it's stunning. It, it again, the amount of research they go to unearth all of this just goes to show how much Michael Mann got into picking these firearms for everybody. It's all very thoughtful and very interesting. I highly recommend everybody go look at this page. Uh, but the brass check moment is interesting because it's the moment, and it just ties back into this realism thing I was talking about earlier, it's the moment in the film that they that they knock man for. Because apparently uh, Macaulay's brass check method is highly unsafe and would not be the way... <laughs> that a, a professional like him would do a breast check. I love that they're criticizing they're criticizing the safety and they use those ex that exact framing. Neil McCall, we've seen his aptitude with a weapon and Neil yeah. would not check his weapon like that. I love that it's less about the nitpick of the of the gun and more about what the character would do as he knows what's safe. That's so good. <laughs> they're my kind of they're my kind of nerds. Bless you. And I say that in the most loving in the most loving, you know, I'm the guy who's doing a 170 minute podcast on heat. So, um, you know, 170 show arc on heat. So, you know, bless, bless them, bless them for yeah. that. But it, it really, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. You know, they track how, who's got Marine issued firearms and, and who was a Marine and, and all, all this stuff. I mean, we've talked about it or you've talked about a lot of this stuff. Um, but it's nice to see that, that it goes down to this fine grain detail. So good. I love that. I love that. Well, it's, it's pretty. Well, as we step out of this, as we step into this elevator, we step out of this minute. And I want to thank Mr. Jordan Harper, the award-winning author of She Rides Shotgun. And uh, he he claims, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out. What you claim on your uh, latest Twitter bio, the guy who ruined LA Confidential most recently is is that the wording that you used? Um, I believe no. I actually said. Recently fucked up LA Confidential <laughs> is actually which is, the phrasing I use. Which is not true. Which is not true. Oh, uh, as someone you. who as someone who has seen it. Um, um you you left a um you left some deep curiosity. I was curious. What 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 I wanted to do was see where some of those characters went. Particularly what was that wonderful actress who was uh working alongside um your Danny DeVito character? Oh, um, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, June Christman is the character's name. Oh, my God. Don't ever tell the actress. I forgot. Uh, Alana, Alana Reyes. Alana Reyes. Uh, she's a magnificent actress. Yes. June. Um, June. And I loved that June, entire yeah. arc. I was, so, I was so excited to see how she, she was the, basically the grunt, if you like, at Hush Hush magazine, um, while Sid... Uh, you, and, and you had a suitably grotesque Sid ran around getting things done. Uh, she was the she was the honey. Oh trap. yeah, Dominic Burgess. He's great. He was great. Um, you know, you, you had this sort of great, wonderful African American, um, you know, lady who was working for this trash magazine because it was the only place that at least gave her a job. That's one Sid's one admirable quality, and I guess the whole the whole lore of LA Confidential. And she was um, having a bit of a having a a great and interesting relationship with your, uh, with your Goggins character. Oh yeah. Jack who, who plays it. He Jack. plays Jack Vincennes. Uh, which so people don't know it's the Kevin Spacey role. Well, I'll tell you because it we certainly can't spoil anything. Now, uh, the, the whole plan was to, to kill Sid off halfway through the first season as a victim of this Dr. Frankenstein serial killer, which is actually what happens in the books. Sid doesn't 
last very long in the book. Yes. Um, so I needed another character to take over Hush Hush after Sid was dead. And uh, that was my plan for her. She's like, like you said, she's African-American, which we were able to, to play with. It's a whole different look on the 1950s. And then I was, uh, nobody and, really and knew a very And a nice, deep, still scrutiny in the, uh, in the activities of L.A. police <laughs> from yeah. the African-American perspective in the 50s, particularly. She was, uh, she was going to be great. I just felt like she was, well, it, she was so good. Yeah, and I, my plan was to to reveal that she was also going to be able to be blackmailed because she was at one point a communist, uh. Um, uh, which I hadn't told anybody. Nobody knew that um, except for me. Uh, but I just thought, you know, because I wanted her to be the one morally pure, relatively morally pure person on the show, and um, and yet I still want her to be blackmailable. And, and there's actually a very strong... Uh, african-american membership in the communist party in like the 40s so it was not that far-fetched not, not far-fetched um, see yeah. this is see this is why i 100 percent disagree that you fucked up la confidential you did not sir you did not i'm, uh, I'm, ta- I'm, I, I'm taking you to task on that you did not i appreciate it and obviously i'm being a little tongue-in-cheek when i say that although oh i didn't get it on the air and i really wish i had it was it was really the cast i'm I just the cast just, is great it, Really, it was well. really, and Goggins, Goggins as Jack Vincennes, um, he's a little rougher around the edges than Spacey. Yeah, and when he's smoking a cigarette in a bar and drinking wine and saying that, you know, why do you need this extra money? And he's being, uh, there's a wonderful scene in the show and and on on this unseen pilot, which I've been great, you know, I'm very gratefully have seen, where he's having a, a scene across from June and they're talking about why he needs this extra money. And they sort of both dance around the the exact facts of their of their past, and I just I think that like that kind of character for Goggins is like that's like peas and carrots, like just give me <laughs> give me a ten seasons of him as Jack Vincennes, a Goggins character like that, a little bit of Southern twang. Oh man, it would have been so wonderful. It- it really and and you know I don't know how much you remember from the book that they no, don't get into the movie that Jack Vincennes is a white knuckle sober. Uh, who eventually goes off the wagon? So I was really looking forward to, to doing, you know, two two seasons of Walt Goggins with this like kind of sheen, and then taking him down into like absolute like popping bennies and, and drinking whiskey <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know rolling people and stuff. It was going to be don't fun. tease us with Walt and Goggins just going off the rails. Like that, that should be enough to pitch any show for Netflix right now. I've got a pitch. It's called Walt and Goggins goes off the rails in three seasons written by Jordan I, uh, Harper. Sort your life out. Someone. Man. Yeah. There's, there's uh somebody uh, said this on Twitter the other day that, uh, and it's funny. I can't, well, never mind. But like, uh, but uh, if somebody were to remake, uh, Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Um, that the only person you could cast would be Walton Goggins. Correct, and I think that's true. Correct. Yeah, I think that's true. extreme um, versatility. A wonderful. Actor. Yeah, he's the best. I, I, yeah, no, it's uh, it was very cool to get to hang out with him and like tell him how important the Shield was to me as a writer and and how yeah, it was really fun, man. It was, it was cool. Well, look, I'm sorry to bring up anything sore if I have, mate. I just uh, am an admirer, oh, no, no, no. admirer of your work and particularly of that too as well. And, uh, you know, um, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you along for this journey. And thank you so much for being my guest on the 150th episode of One Heat Minute. 
Thanks so much for having me, man. I have a blast every time. Guys, Jordan Harper at Jordan underscore Harper on Twitter. Follow him there. He'll let you know what he's up to and you can catch up on it. Um, You can also jump straight to Amazon. And I know because if you go to Amazon, um, you can buy his books, um, particularly She Rides Shotgun, a nice hardcover, actually cheaper than you can buy in Australia if you buy it from amazon.com.au. And it makes you ship the United States hardcover version, which actually looks better than the Aussie version. So do that um, and uh, get the man some royalties for God's sakes. And and, uh, definitely highly recommend. Thank you to Mr. Garth Franklin for our web design. Thank you to Mr. Paul Davies for our awesome theme. And we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner. And we will make sure when we check that brass check, it will be done with the safety of the Internet Movie Gun Database. (laughs) Thanks, man. Later. Thanks.